Welcome to another episode of the AlbumReview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. Thanks to all you listeners out there for your interaction and feedback. Your feedback, guys, is much appreciated and it helps me to always improve. For episode number 40, I'm going to be reviewing Santana's 1977 live and studio compilation double album called Moonflower. Moonflower is a hidden gem, guys. It's, a, it's an album I discovered over 30 years ago while I was walking through a record store. I saw the album cover, was instantly drawn into it, and decided to take a little risk and buy it without ever hearing it. Well, the risk paid off. Now, before we get going, remember, you can read my reviews and listen to any of my podcast episodes by going to albumreview.net. These episodes can be heard wherever podcasts are available as well. Please follow my podcast on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. Also, if you guys would be so kind to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that helps move the needle and get the word out there. In addition to listening, you can read over 45 written reviews at albumreview.net and pick up merchandise from your favorite bands. I've got things like trucker hats, t-shirts, several of your favorite albums, home sound systems, and books that I've read and highly recommend. This includes my favorite book, The 4-Hour Workweek and The War of Art, which is a Stephen Pressfield masterpiece. 4-Hour Workweek is Timothy Ferris. You have to check that out. Also, I have books on there from other authors that I've had on the show, such as Andy Fry, who I just interviewed for episode number 39. His book, 90 Days in the 90s, is superb. If you like music from the 90s, uh, you've got to check it out. Uh, other authors include Brian O'Connor, Kyle Hegarty, and Ivan Bodley. These are all people that are entrepreneurs that I've interviewed and have really interesting books. You can also check out those podcasts. You can also find a lot of biographies in the bookstore at albumreview.net. I've got biographies on artists such as Tom Petty, Slash, Sammy Hagar, Anthony Kiedis, Jeff Buckley, Talking Heads, Pink Floyd, Faith No More, Guns N' Roses, and many, many others. And a recent addition to albumreview.net is the tools and resources page on the website. If you're thinking about taking the leap like I did and maybe starting your own podcast or starting your own business, check out my quick and easy tips on starting your own podcast. Here, I give you a quick and dirty rundown. It's a four-step process on how to get started. This includes both free and paid products and software. The goal is really just to recommend a few different options to you guys, both free and paid options, and enable you to find what's right for you. Not starting a podcast, but looking for recommendations on audio equipment, looking for online courses to improve your business and marketing approach, trying to find an online coding class to help you build your website yourself, or do you just need a design or digital marketing firm to help you? If you go to the tools and resources page at albumreview.net, you can find a bunch of these suggestions, recommendations, and referrals for all of these. Again, this isn't just one product to one specific goal, but a library of products to help you. Some of these, some of these products have an affiliate tied to them. Some of these are just helpful articles, books, and information that I just wanna share. So check them out at the tools and resources page and enjoy. All right. Prepare to tell your friends, why didn't I get into Santana earlier in my life? Because when you listen to this review with the song clips included from the album, I think you'll be amazed at how amazing Santana really is. So enjoy. 
Friday morning, November 10th, 1989. I was a 12-year-old student at an all-boys private school in rural Massachusetts. I was late. For history class, that is. And my teacher, Mr. Beardsley, he had it in for me. He probably had a good reason. I consistently spent time during his class doing things like drawing Guns N' Roses, Metallica, and Motley Crue and block letters on my notebooks and binders. And you couldn't really write well on a Trapper Keeper, so I had to, I had to get these cheap binders, you know, the, the three ring binders that would usually be bent or broken within a month. And oh man, the number of times I closed those damn binder rings on my fingers. I feel like I still have the scars. I can remember the Berlin Wall had just come down the day before. This was a big deal. And Mr. Beardsley was explaining the importance of it to all of us. But was I listening? Unfortunately, today, I have to report, no. The moment he noticed I was late, he acknowledged it and told me to find my seat fast. He also asked me to see him after class. And instead of listening to a description of a historical moment in world history during class, I was more focused on making sure the lightning bolts on the letters M and A of the word Metallica were done correctly. For I couldn't, I couldn't pass off as a real fan of this band if they weren't drawn correctly. I mean, come on! So when class was dismissed, I made my way to Mr. Beardsley's desk as the, the last student left the classroom and the next round of students were entering for his next class. Mr. Beardsley let out a deep, long sigh with the words, Mr. Potters. It's important to pay attention in class, Mr. Potters. This way, you will not only do well on my quizzes and tests, but you will learn something. I nodded as I was just looking to get out of there. Mr. Beardsley was also my wrestling coach, so I had to endure his presence not only in class, but also at the end of the day during practice. So I was aware I didn't want to make an enemy here, and as I agreed to pay more attention in class, I looked over on his desk and I noticed a cassette tape. In big letters with a rather impressive font style, maybe it was papyrus, I could read the word Santana. Now, I knew of Santana, but I had never heard his music. I guess I just thought it was like one guy at the time. As I was excused from this conversation and allowed to go to my next class, I found my buddy Matt in the hallway hustling to his next class. What did he want? Matt said to me, and I said, uh, he just told me to quit drawing on my notebook and pay attention some more, you know, the usual stuff. Matt was like, you know, was he mad? And I said, no, but get this. He had a tape of Santana on his desk. <laughs> what a loser, right? So Matt was laughing with me. We agreed, and then we had to part ways. He went into English class, and I ducked into my Spanish class, and, you know, that was that. So, yeah, this was my attitude towards anything that wasn't hair metal uh, back in 1989. For my music journey, had a long way to go, and I had a lot of learning to do. About three years later, I can, I can recall wanting to write those words as I shared out loud onto a piece of paper and then eating that freaking piece of paper. <laughs> when I heard Santana's 1977 album, Moonflower, I kept shouting, how could I have been so stupid? I would mouth these words a lot through the 90s as an initial opinions I formed of many artists were really debunked over and over and over and over again. And Santana was one that I will never forget. So going back on October 1st, 1977, singer-songwriter Carlos Santana released his eighth album, 
a combination of studio recorded and live recorded tracks titled Moonflower. Considered a deep cut, at least by many Santana fans, Moonflower had a top 40 hit on the record, their cover of the zombie song, She's Not There, and a well-known radio-friendly track titled Black Magic Woman, which was recorded live during the band's Amigos tour of 1976. What's ear-catching and eye-popping about Santana is, uh, and his band is how they weave blues and Latin influences into their music. Most of the songs on Moonflower are really off the beaten path, which, which is why I chose to review this today. In each track, you get a heavy taste of Latin instruments such as bongos and other percussion, but each song has a say you later, kick you in the head guitar solo, which is precisely what drew me to Carlos. For this is really the perfect album to play at a party when your guests have different musical tastes, you know? So listen up. You know, because you can really satisfy with this album the I Just Want to Dance crowd, in addition to giving jam band and blues lovers the fabulous Santana guitar sound, which is infectious. So a little history here. Carlos was born in Jalisco, Mexico in 1947. You like that? Huh? In 1955, his father managed to find steady work up in uh, northern Mexico in Tijuana, just south of the U.S. border. This is where Carlos really began his fascination with music. By 1957, Carlos was playing violin with his two brothers, uh, basically playing for money on the streets of Tijuana, which had recently undergone a transformation, becoming a huge tourist and party town in North Mexico. By 1958, Carlos was earning money exclusively by playing music in the streets and in the clubs of Tijuana. And in 1961, Carlos would finally pick up an acoustic guitar after experiencing what he called a religious experience when he witnessed a bunch of street musicians playing electric guitar and bass guitar out of an electrified amplifier. Carlos noted this day was the day he swore he would devote his life to music and never look back. So by 1962, Carlos and his family would move across the border all the way up to San Francisco, California. His father had been up there already for two years, working the music circuit and slowly planning the family's gradual move to the Bay Area. And for Carlos, this was a perfect because if it weren't for this move, we might have never heard of Moonflower or Abraxas or a legendary performance of Soul Sacrifice at Woodstock in 1969. San Francisco would become the epicenter of the counterculture in the mid to late 1960s as the Vietnam War raged on overseas and music began its historical change that would move music in another direction forever. Carlos played a large part of this change. By 1966, he formed the Mocker Manor Blues Band, which would later be changed to the Santana Blues Band. By 68, they had gained a large enough following in the Bay Area and drew attention from record companies. They signed a recording contract with Columbia Records in early 1969 and immediately entered the studio to, being, to begin recording their debut album, simply titled Santana. The band would later be shortened to just Santana from the Santana Blues Band also. What's fascinating about their debut is that this was released after their famed performance at Woodstock in August of 69. So most people listening that night to them at Woodstock had never heard of Santana before. So guys, if you haven't, and there must be some of you out there, 
you must watch Santana's performance at Woodstock, especially Soul Sacrifice, as this performance will go down in the pantheon of rock performances. Not to mention, you must check out the whole Woodstock movie in its entirety. It's life-changing. So that leads us back to 1977. Carlos is now well-established. He's already released what may be one of his strongest albums, Abraxas, and they put out their second sort of live album. I say sort of because Moonflower had a mix of studio and live tracks, really making it more of a compilation album. So I'm walking through my local record store in 1991 when I spot the album cover of Moonflower. The cover is a photo taken by Japanese photographer Yoshikazu Shirakawa and depicts a wide mountain range covered by rolling clouds, almost as if you're viewing this from an airplane or atop a large mountain peak. It's unclear whether the sun is either setting or rising in the picture. Nevertheless, the photo caught my eye immediately and without any knowledge of the tracks listed, with the exception of Soul Sacrifice and Black Magic Woman, I grabbed this double album and proceeded to the checkout counter. So the album opens with Dawn Go Within. Relaxing synth mixed with a massage-like bassline starts you off. Band's lead singer, Greg Walker, whose voice just screams the 1970s, lets out a big bell. This is the only vocal sound that you hear the entire 2 minutes and 44 seconds of this song. This is an instrumental track. It's a quick one. Not your 20-minute dead jam. That's why I think this album could be played at any party. Carnival picks up with a Latin beat sung in Spanish and English. The lyrics are short and straight to the point. Vamanos, vamanos carnaval, es hora de bailar mi amor. Come on, let's go, let's go to carnaval. 
It is time to sing and dance, my love. Yo quiero lo felicidad que de el al carnaval. I want the happiness and joy that's found in carnaval. got to check it out it's 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 wonderful what's great about this song is the build-up the build-up to the reason why Santana is so special Carnival which uh, was recorded live in concert segues right into Carlos's rocket ship riding guitar solo which easily and perfectly takes you into the song let the children play at midnight on my Iowa stereo in my bedroom on my headphones, I was hooked. 
one and a half songs in, Carlos was my guy. He was my new obsession. I would later see him in concert a year or so later, fully transformed by that time into a diehard Santana fan. Oh, if Mr. Beardsley could have seen me then. At some point, unbeknownst to me, Let the Children Play becomes the song Hugando. You don't even realize it. It's a smooth segue that just organically happens. Those are the best, aren't they? When one song just morphs into another and you don't even realize it. I'm of the mindset that not many bands can do this well. I'd have to say the Grateful Dead are probably the kings of this. And if you think I'm lying, just listen to how they melt Scarlet Begonias into the song Fire on the Mountain live in concert. It'll melt your brain. where he does sing, Greg Walker does a superb job, taking over the song Making You Forget It's a Santana track. Then Carlos's guitar comes in, reminds you that it's a Santana track, and your fingernails fall off. Probably the most unique song on the album is the sixth track, Zulu. Interestingly enough, I wasn't able to find a lot of information about this song while I was doing research, but it is a true departure from the other material on the album. It's, it's kind of a fusion funk jam song. Um, Zulu maybe belongs on a King Crimson album or part of a progressive rock compilation. Being a studio recording, Dave Margin's bass really takes center stage in this track.
so Zulu is the whole package. As a fan of instrumentals, I was zonked when I heard this. This is a combination of Latin, funk, disco, jazz, really heavy jazz, and blues, of course, when Carlos's guitar comes in. And this one also just screams the 1970s. You know what? You guys know what I mean when I say screams 1970s? You know, just listen to it and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. I, I felt like I was wearing white bell bottoms dressed like Dirk Diggler getting ready to go to a disco pool party in the Hollywood Hills in 1977 when I first heard this song. For the radio-friendly fans, Black Magic Woman scratches that itch with the rhythm-driving bass guitar played by Pablo Tellez who played on all the live tracks for Moonflower and Greg Walker's 1970s I'm about to give you a massage, so sit back type voice. Of course, the track turns into a huge jam that during many live shows, Carlos has stretched out forever. On the album Moonflower, he only stretches this version of Black Magic Woman to a modest six minutes and 32 seconds. This is just an exceptional song, so if you're not understanding Santana at this point, Stop this podcast because you never will. Black Magic Woman was actually written by Fleetwood Mac founder Peter Green and a Hungarian guitar player named Gabor Szabo, who grew to fame in the 1960s as a jazz guitarist. Skipping ahead a few tracks, Moonflower features a live version of Soul Sacrifice, Head, Hands, and Feet, which gained notoriety when the earlier lineup of 1969 played a lengthy version at Woodstock that same year. You must experience this version. Set a reminder to go back and listen to or watch that performance on YouTube. You're dead.
Unfortunately, Michael Shreve, who's drums for Santana during the Woodstock performance of this song, is not on the Moonflower version. You can't miss Shreve, for he's the greatest Kevin Bacon lookalike on the planet. Or maybe should we say the opposite is true? Graham Lear is the drummer on the Moonflower album version, and he's joined by Raul Racao and Jose Arreyes on percussion for this version. Jose Arreyes, it sounds like a baseball player, doesn't it? The drumming is superb still, and it steals the show. Well, until, of course, Carlos plays his guitar about 7 minutes and 12 seconds in. Then you go on a ride for what is arguably the best song he ever wrote and performed. From 1976 until 1982, Carlos's main guitar was a Yamaha SG-175B. Occasionally, he would play a white Gibson SG Custom with three open-coil pickups. It's in the history books that during his performance at Woodstock, Carlos had taken acid prior to going on stage. Given to him by Jerry Garcia, Carlos was originally told he wouldn't be scheduled to go on stage until about 3 a.m. And it was about one o'clock in the afternoon when he accepted Jerry's offer. So he figured, what the heck, I got time, right? Well, not the case. (laughs) Soon after that tab hit Carlos's tongue, the band is told they're going on during that afternoon at 2 p.m. local time. Can you imagine what Carlos must have been thinking when the LSD started kicking in? He's noted in interviews stating he, quote, felt like the neck of his guitar was slithering around like snakes, end quote. Carlos stated he just closed his eyes to avoid panicking and trusted his fingers to play the notes. Now, that's a real musician. Remember, at this point, Carlos had not released an album yet. Outside of the Bay Area, he was relatively unknown. Can you imagine not only tripping on stage in front of 400,000 people, but at what was going to be your first real breakout show? Oh my God, man. Moonflower continues with studio and live recordings such as Flor de Luna, which is Moonflower, the song, the 1970s mellow Transcendence, and the famous Zombies hit, She's Not There. With a total of two records and 16 tracks, this album, Moonflower, does not disappoint. I mean, does not disappoint. So in 1998, Carlos, along with his classic Santana lineup, of the first two albums were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They would perform the song Black Magic Woman that night with Peter Green, who I noted earlier also co-wrote the song. Most recently, Santana underwent heart surgery in December 2021. He suffered a medical emergency on stage at a concert at Pine Knob Music Theater in Michigan on July 5th, 2022. The actual medical issue was not disclosed to the public. Carlos apparently was able to gain consciousness while being helped off stage. His publicist later noted that Carlos collapsed from heat exhaustion and dehydration. You gotta stay hydrated, guys. He was transported to a local hospital and would recover fairly quickly. But just three days later on July 8th, Santana's management company announced that he would postpone his next six concerts out of an abundance of caution for the artist's health. So after 50 years recording and more than 60 years performing, Moonflower is arguably Santana's strongest album. And at age 75, Carlos and his Santana band are back on the road after pausing for only a few weeks as I'm doing this review in August of 2022. 
After listening to his most recent album, uh, 2021's Blessing and Miracles, Carlos clearly still has the ability to rip on his guitar and play some exceptional music for you. If you want to catch his remaining shows for this summer, you can get his tickets uh, for the current tour by going to www.tour.santana.com. up a copy of Moonflower in the store at albumreview.net. Grab a piece of history. If you're a rock fan, you need this in your collection. If you're a jazz fan, you need this in your collection. If you're a Latin beat fan, you need this in your collection. You have no idea what you've been missing. Thanks again for listening to the albumreview.net podcast. I hope you enjoyed my review of Santana's 1977 double album, Moonflower. If you're interested in any of the books or albums I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by clicking on the podcast tab. Gee, go figure. They can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. 
And also, guys, I said this at the top of the podcast, if you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that helps move the needle and get the word out there. Also, I do want to hear from you. I haven't, uh, I, I got a, a huge uptick last week, but I haven't uh, heard from many folks this week. I do want to hear from you. Please email me your feedback, album review requests, or any questions you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, product, and music news, go to the homepage and join the mailing list. Also, you can stay tuned for updates on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me at albumreviewnet and just keep refreshing your podcast. Just read and listen. Well, week six of recovery, since I broke my fibula in two places and my tibia in one, the hardest thing has been the mental part, guys. Laying in bed week after week, eating my meals in bed. As wonderful as it sounds, it loses its luster really quick. So I'm really excited to have done these podcasts for you. Thanks for all of you who've been throwing well wishes my way in emails and on social media. Stay tuned for my next episode coming soon. Adios. Take a trip down by the highway. Take a trip down by the highway. Take a trip down by the highway. Take a trip down